I don't do tourist plebeian exits from my nature zones. <laughs> I have my own. It's like a form of birth and or death, depending on how I'm feeling when I'm entering and exiting nature. Don't take it lightly. from Needles, the Desert Protection Podcast, with your hosts, Chris Clark and Alicia Pike. Well, hey, welcome to 90 Miles from Needles, the Desert Protection Podcast. I'm Chris Clark. And I'm Alicia Pike. And we are sitting in a great big pile of boulders, enjoying an unseasonably cool June day in the Mojave Desert. And I was thinking about a story recently, early on in my getting to know the Mojave Desert, I actually didn't like it very much. If you were gonna give me a trip to the Mojave Desert, I would have gone. But my conception of what a desert was supposed to be like, or my conception of what kind of desert I wanted to hang out in was more like Arizona upland, Sonoran Desert, the pretty desert. The pretty desert. The one with the cacti. With air quotes. Yep. I'm throwing air quotes when I say pretty desert. <laughs> this was early on before I really started noticing anything about the Mojave. But I remember impatiently speeding through the Mojave mm. so that I could get to Arizona and the Saguaros. So you've been that guy. I've been that guy. And this is like 35 years ago, so. Yeah. I've had plenty of time to reflect on my wrongness, but... Well, you're, it's not just that you've been that guy, it's that I've been that guy, and my friends are that guy. Like, we're all that guy, until we're not. And that's kind of what we're talking about today, right? Yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about what other people get wrong about the desert. And that's fun, and people do get stuff wrong about the desert, and it's important to talk about why those things are wrong, but we also don't want to be scolded. We get stuff wrong about the desert all the time. These are our that guy stories. Yep. And so we're just going to spend a little bit of time talking about things we got wrong about the desert or about an individual desert. And there are things that we continue to get wrong to this day. It's a constant lifelong learning process. I have no stories. I didn't get anything wrong. I love the desert and the desert loves me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to say that. You do love the desert, and the desert does love you. Uh, well, I guess in a broader perspective, for me, one of the things I got wrong about the desert was thinking that it was all... I hesitate to even say this out loud, but to think that it was all kind of the same. And over the 10 years of living here, and observing intimately the different microbiomes throughout just this little nook of the Mojave has shown me that the biodiversity of what can grow in a desert will really take you by surprise. But out here in the wild, it's just, it did not occur to me the variety of succulents and ferns and vibrant, colored single cell organism communities 
that thri uh, amphibians, you know, to the toads, the frogs, the, the things that you just wouldn't think would thrive and grow in the, they're, no, they're not everywhere, but where they do have their moment to shine is what it is. There are these, just these little micro communities within the desert that you would never expect to find such delicate, moist splendor. <laughs> and I totally had that wrong. I grew up in San Diego where I knew succulents from the coastal bluffs and to find similar looking succulents thriving out here in the desert was one of those oh, wow moments. I just didn't see that one coming. The whole notion of the differing biodiversity and the microclimates and I mean in a place like we are right now I would not be at all surprised to find little dormant ferns and there are places like where I live there's no chance of there being any ferns unless I bring them. It was, we were doing really good. We only got one little United Airlines moist towelette wrapper here. One of my favorite little corners of the wilderness that's not so wild, but loved and respected nonetheless by yours truly. Oh, little spider. Oh, no, not a spider. Beetle, looks yeah. like a squash bug maybe? Yeah, it does. Oh, mm-mm, let me lead us out. Okay, trail boss. Yeah, in this case, there's really, there's the easy way and then all the other ways are gonna be inconvenient in one way or another. And while this one may require a little bit of careful vertical stepping, it's honestly the path of least resistance, I swear. I swear it. Yeah, I've learned with you. Sometimes it's just okay to be like, oh, I know the way out of here. Yep. <laughs> let me, let me. Old Alicia would have been like, just follow him, it's fine. Keep him out of trouble. But you know you'll get out, but it's like, you know you're gonna hit that hedge of acacia too. <laughs> That's what's over there. You gotta pass through a thorny hedge. I did that precisely once. Found my little goat trail and I don't go back. What an absolutely gorgeous afternoon though. That was really nice. I'll take it. Early June, some years. <sighs> the end of May felt like summer. May feels like you're already in the doldrums. It's not a good sign. But June, oh, this feels great. Look at that. Very cool. That looks like a baby mistletoe. Yep. On creosote, which you don't see every day. Yep, when you got a bunch of phenopeplas up to no good. Ah, so we're on our way 
Oh, I see the flowers from here. Through the wash at Rattlesnake Canyon here in Indian Cove, Joshua Tree National Park. And driving in, we could see that the desert willows were in full bloom. Tremendous puffy white dots, like a pointillism masterpiece impressionist era. Oh, the butterflies are bouncing around. What a scene. Let's go bury our noses in the divinity. Oh, look, this Cramaria oh, is yeah. in bloom and seed. The fresh seed pods look so velvety. And they do have a velvet underneath the Velcro-like spines. It's really soft. Isn't that just the way? A lot of people are like that. Not me. I'm all spine all the way down. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say you were all soft. Look at this, wow. This is just amazing. Wow. It's like the wall hit me. Can you smell that? I can. Wow. Rich. I think the first time I saw a desert willow in bloom was at Grapevine Canyon in what is now Aviquame National Monument. Mm -hmm. I'd read about desert willows forever, but I just saw this plant blooming in this canyon that's full of petroglyphs and there's just something really vibrant and magical about it and it was the middle of summer and it was hot and it was dry but this bush had just sunk its roots down into a wash like these have here yeah this is such a forest oh and looking back where the light catches the oh, flowers nice. and all the creosote seed pods are glowing and it feels like it's snowing. All of these blossoms just trickling, constant trickle, they're falling. There's so many of them. Oh, Chris, this is stunning, isn't it? Yep. I just got to get a little deeper and get surrounded by them. This wash is so thick with them. And we got acacia blooming and cheese bush. Oh, it's so fragrant. Whew. We're getting right into a little clearing in the middle of a bunch of trees, the willows. So we can be surrounded. Oh, some of the blooms have the pink, and then this one is a white with a yellow. Mm -hmm. It's so neat how they all look the same, but they're exquisitely unique. This one has some purple striations with the yellow but is mostly white. We okay. are standing right now in a grove of trees that are mostly 15, but as tall as 25 feet. Just covered with flowers and lush green leaves. And we're in the Mojave Desert, folks. This looks like Iowa or someplace. Okay. Things that I got wrong about the desert, number 2,361. 
You think you're gonna learn a species, you got it, you read about it, and then you find out that there's like 25 different versions of it with subtle variations, and you've gotta learn which ones have a fine hair on the stem, which ones have a tack leaf, or which ones have these minor differences. And in the beginning, it felt like, this is overwhelming, how am I ever gonna learn them all apart? And now it feels like a challenge that's really exciting. Like, oh, there's 25 more on my bingo card. <laughs> I don't know. Like the willow. You'd think these are all the same kind of tree, but just the simple variation in their blossoms are astounding. Really liking the patterns of foliage up on the hills here. Some places where it looks like there's hardly any at all, except that if we got up close, we would find a whole bunch of things growing. But even from here, looking a mile and a half away at the hillsides, there's some patches that are just really densely vegetated. Up at that altitude, I'm gonna guess from here that those are the scrub oaks. That makes sense. And I can see pinion for sure, and junipers do show up. So you get that nice trifecta of those three and you get that darker green, thicker cover. Whereas over here, like you said, it looks more barren, but it's funny because what looks like earth is, I can see very clearly, is scrub. Mm -hmm. it, the, the, I can't see any bare earth, I can see bare rock. And there is one of the biggest clumps of daughter I've ever seen. Yeah, that's a big one. Dotter is a parasitic plant that it's easy to recognize because it's a bunch of stems that look like a really badly built bird's nest and are bright orange. So let's keep walking, shall we? Yep. Oh, what a sight. This beautiful wash. Okay, so things I had wrong about the desert number 241. I always thought that when a flash flood happened that it was gonna be like a wall of water. Dead wrong! I've looked for videos of the wall of water and while there are some extremely gratifying wall of water flood videos, it's never met my expectation for what I thought 
even hiking in these dry washes, I've seen the high water line, so I have my ideas how deep the water can get. But having come out to this very canyon and perched up on high rocks and watched the floodwaters come down in all varying stages, I've seen it and it's not like I thought. And it's way cooler. It requires patience and timing to catch it. It's, it feels like a very rare event, but it's really just a matter of stalking the weather and making sure you have the time to go sit out in the rain and stalk a, stalk a wash. <laughs> so what does it look like if it doesn't look like a wall of water? Well, that's the funny thing. So in this wash, it started as a trickle. Mm-hmm. Just a teeny inconsequential trickle. And I do have some really cool video footage of that that we can share. In another situation I saw, the water had already been flowing, but then it was like a, it reminded me of a tsunami. People think also that tsunamis are gonna bring this wall of water, but it's more like a tidal surge. And this surge came that had this first pre-surge that was literally a few ripples but clearly more water was coming. And then the next surge, you could feel rocks tumbling around you and the water was now moving and the water only continued to rise. And it was just so weird to see that, just to happen to have been out there standing in the road while it was flooding and to see that calm rain runoff turn into Ooh, I might need to go put on my water shoes because there are rocks tumbling in that water. Mm -hmm. like, it's crazy. But yeah, the gentle trickle, that's how people get killed, though, is that little gentle trickle that it starts with is so deceiving. It doesn't look like much. No. And there, that wall of water, I feel, is the parable story behind that trickle. Do know that there's a wall of water coming for you behind a trickle like that in a desert wash. You just need to be smart about it keep on high ground here comes the flood something I got wrong about deserts for a long time and I still get it a little wrong just because of reflex is I was terrified of running into rattlesnakes mm. when I first started visiting the desert. My then girlfriend in the 1980s, I was living in DC and my ex was applying for a job in southern Arizona at a legal clinic. She was going to law school at the time. And I imagined us living on the Tohono Autumn Reservation west of Tucson. And we had two cats at the time. And I thought, how the hell are we gonna keep the cats from getting eaten by rattlesnakes? <laughs> wow. And I was, I spent some time being actually nervous about that. Wow. Danny, are you listening? Can you believe that? <laughs> And then I actually started to run into rattlesnakes and it was completely different. 
Because they're just like you. They're like, oh, no, man. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, I, I'm not starting anything. I don't want to hang out with you. I'm pretty sure you don't want to hang out with me. Look, this you don't want to hang out with me. Let's just go our own way. And we will need to do an entire episode on snakes and especially rattlesnakes just because it there will be people that will be interested in having an entire episode and then there will be other people that won't listen to that episode with a 10-foot pole but i was hiking above palm springs about 10 years ago and this guy breezed past me on the trail and he had they weren't there weren't earbuds then it was like mm. corded earphones and and he was just booking on past and he waved at me and he was happy and I walked about five more feet and there was a red diamond rattlesnake in the middle of the trail that he had clearly stepped over oh my goodness and he just went past it without even noticing yep <gasps> and that snake rattled at me and I said all right all right and I just sat down like five feet away from it <laughs> it gave you the oh thou shalt not pass what is your favorite color? <laughs> You're like, okay. I'll and just... so I had a conversation with a snake, and I probably still have that video somewhere where I just waited for the snake to get tired of being where it was, and it decided to head uphill. And it was a very pretty snake, and it stuck its tongue out at me a couple of times trying to figure out who the hell I was. This warm thing is still nearby, yep. and it's big. And same with speckled rattlesnakes, you know, Hart walked right past one at one point that I hadn't seen. And then she walked past it again and I saw it and she was maybe two feet from it. Well within striking range, but the snake was just not wanting to be bothered. Even after I'd run into a few snakes and gotten much calmer about them in general, I still had this mystique in my head about the Mojave Green. Mm. A northern Mojave rattlesnake, which is reputed to be aggressive and ill-tempered and nasty. And they are the rattlesnake that I most enjoy running into now. Mm. Because there is no question of accidentally stepping on one. Mm. They rattle at you from 30 feet away. And they say, hey, excuse me, I'm over here. You want to stay over there? All right. <laughs> And they're just, they're such wonderful critters, and I just really love them. It's neat how they all have their own personality type. Yep. You know, the, the speckled seems to be very quiet and chill. You know, unless you get really close and hover for too long, it's just going to be quiet. Now that's interesting. This wash is closed up but the signpost is here. And the level of evasive. Oh, these are almost all purple. They're like a lavender. Oh, nice. With deep fuchsia striations. Again, these willow blossoms. Oh, they're covered in ladybugs and carpenter bees and... Biological diversity. Biologica.
starting to get a red light on the battery. Mine's still happy. Okay. This very buggy here. I yep. gotta move out of this area. They're like, oh, fresh meat. <laughs> Get her. Uh, shall we head up and. Oh, who's this little guy? Is this a Pensemin? Pen... How do you pronounce that? Penstemon? Penstemon. Looks like it might be. It certainly has gotten beaten up. Yeah. Well, look where it chose to grow. Yep. Smack dab in the middle of a wash. I think you're blaming the victim there. Oh no. It was the environment that the victim was subjected to. Oh, there's something else I've gotten wrong about the desert. Yeah? What? Thinking that it's really a durable environment. Dead wrong! Thinking that you can ride your dune buggy or your quad or explode your nuclear weapon or have your cows stomping on the crypto or whatever. And it just all was no big deal because everything here is tough. And, and there are aspects of that that are almost true. The plants here are really tough and they are used to being defoliated, a lot of them. So they will come back after a flash flood and a wash or something like that. And I think universally, all of this matter is going to be continually recycled by the universe over and over. It's a closed loop system. But at the same time, as an ecosystem and as individual things living in the ecosystem, they are very sensitive. And I, it took a while for me to get that. Yeah. What is this, bladder sage? Yep. Had a good year, this bush did. Used to be called salazaria. It's called something else now paper bag bush. This is what happens. Year after year, you study the names and then you start learning their second names, their Latin names, their common names. And that's when I notice progress because yeah. I could not say paper bag bush. My brain wanted to say parachute plant. Mm -hmm. For years, I struggled with that. Before I even moved out here full time, I knew what this bush was, but in my mind, it was parachute plant. <laughs> Like MC Hammer's clothes. Yeah. Are you dead or are you still going? I'm still going. This is a big yucca. It's yucca. got some developing fruit up at the top. Sometimes they look like little watermelons when they get those green, the mottled green. Look like little melone. These are little daggers. Ouch. Wow, it's such a big group. What'd you say? 12 feet? Yeah. The tallest one? Yeah. Probably well into the four digits as far as age. And the crown on this. Yeah. Relatively new growth. It could be 30 years. It could be, that would be what I would say what, like in the eight to 10 foot range? Six maybe. Six to eight? Yeah. Now, admittedly this, has gotten more water than the typical Mojave yucca. So it might have grown a little bit faster than the others. Yeah, that's true. But I'm still thinking it's got to be more than a millennium old. Yeah, it, the it's a, ring it's a diameter. The ring, do you remember the calculation for the ring diameter? I do not. Because now I'd say that ring diameter was in the eight to 10 foot range 
easily. Yeah, that's for sure. If not more, like 10 to 12, because some of these are pushed out. And we've got a woodpecker hole. Oh, look at that. Good spot. I want to get closer, but I know and have much respect for this bush. And every time I find myself lurching forward, I lurch right back. <laughs> we will take a photo of the... What a great little dugout. And of course, here's a critter den of some sort. I'm not seeing an immediate proliferation of pack rat poops, I'm seeing more bunny poops, and the size of that hole makes me think that this might just be an Audubon nest. Yeah. What do you think? That looks about right. Needle cottontails. There's a bone there. There's a bone. I was just going to say, is that a portion of a vertebra? Ouch. That's, you're getting too close. Yeah, this is like a coyote vertebra. Mm. Well, that's a good warning sign, Bun Buns. Put that on your doorstep. That's smart. Yep. Eat that calcium. Yeah. You'll gain the coyote's strength. So a little secret that we haven't really talked about, at least in anything that made it into the published version of the podcast, is that we on occasion will get out to places like this and have our recording equipment and it will be running low on batteries. And it's like an ongoing running joke the universe has in this podcast there have been this has been very simple we've i'm just looking at the battery light battery indicator light turning a sort of red color but there have been times when we have talked and for an hour and a half gone, <laughs> talked for an hour and a half and then not had it record or paid close attention to whether or not the battery was still good and gotten three sentences in and had cheap rechargeables just sort of peter out because they've been sitting outside the charger for two weeks and lost all their charge. So yeah, we've had it all the ways, but we're, I feel like we're just budding little babies, you know, our equipment as people learn about our podcast and our support grows. We're going to be able to upgrade our equipment and supply closets so that when we go out on trail, we have a second and third set of batteries and perhaps even a second and third F2 just in case, you know? Yep. Yep. And if you want to help with that, you can text the word needles to 53555. And <laughs> that will bring up a little link that you can hit and donate to us. Because redundancy is key with technology. You gotta always have at least two copies. Three is better. Because we don't want you to lose this data. We got a lot of good stuff to share with you. These bugs want me to share my blood with them. Yep. They really don't want to. <laughs> Precious bodily fluids. You can't have it, it's mine. So I think we should just loop around this creosote and walk back around the rock pile because I don't like walking out that main trail. All right. I don't do tourist plebeian exits from my nature zones. <laughs> I have my own. It's like a form of birth and or death, depending on how I'm feeling when I'm entering and exiting nature. Don't take it lightly. So there's sort of a twofer for something I've gotten wrong about the desert and still get wrong about the desert 
There you go, what's that? When I first started coming to the desert and learning about it, and I was already a professional environmentalist, I assumed that everybody was really into the desert. Anybody that had an environmental sensibility at all, I thought that they would at least appreciate the desert from an aesthetic standpoint. Right. And then we get to 15 years ago, and I'm hearing from all these environmentalists that I know that they think the desert is the best place to pave for solar. So then I started assuming that nobody likes the desert except for desert rats. Oh, wow, you're riding that spectral wave. And so that's wrong, too, because there's a lot of people out there that love the desert. Uh, the cat claw has got me. Wait a minute. It's a wait a minute bush. I was just saying what the bush said. What? But people love the desert, and there are more people who love the desert now than there were back then. Yeah. So I'm really glad to be wrong about that. I want to go back to that batholith over there. All right. I did enjoy checking out this cute little cubby of a nest, but I just feel very drawn to this rock. I want to cross it. Another thing I got wrong about the desert is that I never expected that I would actually get to live here. And I'm still surprised by that. And it's 15 years since I moved here. I definitely had that wrong about the desert too. Because I always envisioned myself living in the forest, in the woods. Mm -hmm. And even though I was drawn to that, there were a lot of reasons why it didn't make sense. My body type is just so thin. I can't deal with real winters. You know, the bugs, they love me wherever I go. It doesn't matter what continent I'm on. I do not belong around lakes and trees because I'll just be getting eaten alive all the time. <laughs> and I don't want to soak myself in bug spray all the time just to exist outside. The desert is more me than I would have ever thought. I'm the one who gets chilled easy. So being able to walk around for most of the year with average to minimal clothing on mm -hmm. in order to protect myself, even in the summer, just draped a loose cotton dress with a loose cotton overshirt is plenty of sun protection and breathability. And I would have just never thought, even though I bitch and I get real angry every year from the heat, I still never would have ever thought in a million years that I would elect the desert. I ended up here by chance. That's just how the dice, you know, came down the table in my life at the time. I will stay here. It's my home. That's a biggin right there. I mean, this that guy doesn't huge. even know what to do with himself. He's, his, two of his bloom branches broke off because they're so heavy. <laughs> and look at this one growing all wonky on the side. That's fantastic. Yeah, this situation here reminds me of that really wonky one we saw on the 640 property. Yep. Scale-wise also, that was a big fucking yuckin'. <laughs> explicit lyrics. All right, 
How are you feeling? Is it time to get back to the car? Yeah, probably just, oh, I didn't even put my watch on after I showered. Look Pro at you. Probably just in terms of me, who is that? That's the bird that I say, it sounds like he's laughing. Oh, that, the canyon wren. Okay. No, I was talking about the one I saw flying. It looked oh. like, I'm not sure what it looked like. It may have been a quail. The morning doves often fly through here looking exotic. So that's a canyon wren? Yep. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of getting an audiogram of a canyon wren's song as a tattoo. Huh. How do you get an audiogram tattoo? You'd have to print an audiogram out and take it to the tattoo artist. Oh, but, oh. So if you're using Merlin or something like that. I thought you might implant a little music box thing in your arm. That would be much preferable. So you've got some sort of an image and then you can tap that and then the song will play. Wouldn't that be trippy? Yep. <laughs> that sounds like some bizarre future shit that I don't want anything to do with. Things I got wrong about the desert number 4,541. Well, at least it's a dry heat. <laughs> Dead wrong. That does not fucking matter. Actually, dry heat is lethal. <laughs> yeah. You and I were talking earlier about maybe this year, number 10, I can not get heat illness this summer. Let's try to yeah. not do that this year. Things I've been getting wrong about the desert every year since I moved here is taking this heat seriously. It is so easy to just forget how mm -hmm. short of a period of time it takes to put your life on the line. And you could yep. be dead in 15 to 20 minutes from where you're at and you're really not aware. Because first of all, getting grumpy, disoriented, and agitated are some of the first signs that you are in trouble. <laughs> and, you know, who's going to notice if I'm grumpy and irritated? If you're not speaking and you're by yourself. Yep. Sitting in your car in the drive-thru with no AC. It's 115 outside. You're waiting for your food. Yep. It's the middle of COVID, so half of 29 Palms is also in that drive-in. And you did not know that when you rolled into that line, it was going to be a 45-minute wait in your no AC, it's like, oh, oops. <laughs> yep, and that's something that I keep getting wrong too, not only for myself, but for people I care about, as witness the hike you and I took three weeks ago, was that? Mm. Over by the Calumets, the Calumet Mountains, east of Joshua Tree. And it was a really good hike. I'm glad we did it. Beautiful hike and there was amazing cryptobiotic soil crusts out there. It was just really, it wasn't untouched by humans. Uh, there was definitely a lot of evidence of historic mining attempts and yeah. fence posts and things like that. Some two ruts where people had driven Jeeps, but it was unspoiled desert and really beautiful. And at the same time, it was a, almost a six mile slog in sand and it was in the upper 90s. And it felt like it was 110. Yeah. And on days like that, it's just, you can't fight it. 
when your water is dis that's for me that is the first sign that i'm in trouble is i'm going through my water quicker than i would if everything was in balance i don't remember when we stopped first but when i pulled my camel back off i remember having this feeling of ooh <laughs> like half the weight's out of here already yeah. and we aren't even at the halfway point yet and that as we know as seasoned desert people we're that's the turnaround Turn around, point yep. but i did have that i was carrying a bag with four sparkling waters in it which we did consume right. and, and i did have extra water yeah, myself so. but still yeah Th those little signs are things you learn through those experiences and committing those acts of neglect against yourself multiple times where you think i'm gonna be fine and then you realize oh shit i should have brought more water <laughs> yep but yeah the heat i'm gonna really do it this year i swear we will take care to make sure that we go to for our own hikes as premier hiking pals <laughs> going up to altitude or doing night hikes or maybe both there's a section of the Pacific Crest Trails just outside of Big Bear that is a fantastic place to hike. Even in the depth of summer, it gets to 85 degrees maybe, and there's forest. And you can hike past Joshua trees that are doing just fine. They're looking really good. So I have to check that out. Definitely. Now you got me Jones in for Gorgonio, action. I am committed to get getting some hikes in San Jacinto. All right. I got some spots up there too. You show me yours, I'll show you mine. All right. I have an ex that used to respond to that it's a dry heat observation with, so's a fucking blowtorch. Wow. I have likened it to when trying to explain to people what to expect or even clients who know what it's like out here when they ask me in the doldrums of summer, oh, how is it out there today? I hear it's pretty hot. A couple of my favorite responses are, you know when you open the oven door and you've had the broiler on and you forgot about it and you're opening the door and you get that whoosh? That's what it's like when you walk outside. Either that or on the worst days, it really feels like you're in a radiation chamber and you just, you're walking into a pure radiation furnace. The UV rays are punishing, the heat is punishing. And I feel that there are days where I can feel the skin damage happening as I'm walking from my house to the car. It's just such an intense day. And the thing about the desert is it's reflecting off the soil, the sand, and it's brighter. It's not just bright. It's, it is a reflective oven in the summer. It is a real cooker. As my mom and grandma used to say, it's a real cooker. It was a couple of years ago. I was in Death Valley in July, July or August, I forget which. And I just, it was up in the 120 range. And I decided that I had to just feel what it was like at Badwater, which is 282 feet below sea level, lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. And I got there just around sunset. So I got a few minutes of experience of having the sun shine on me and having all the salt crystals reflecting sunlight up at me. And it was extremely intense. Yeah. And I looked over to see my car just maybe a hundred yards away 
with working AC and cold water and all that kind of stuff. And so I was in basically no danger if I didn't do my usual thing. If you didn't thing. collapse right there on the spot. Right. If I didn't do how, my usual thing of walking another three miles. How was the Fahrenheit? What did you say it was 123? 122 or so. Yeah. Uh, and just got the really immediate sense that it would be so easy to die here. And they did find a guy out there at Badwater where he walked the boardwalk past the flats and mm -hmm. just the, it was like the first clump of trees he just curled up under there and forget how long it took him to find him but yep. not immediately even though it seemed like an obvious spot i wonder if he was his energy was there fucking with you <laughs> Could no be. alicia keep your hippy dippy shit out of the podcast no bring your hippy dippy shit into the podcast by the <laughs> truckload if you want <laughs> And if they haven't figured it out by now and they're still listening, cool with me. For listeners who are confused as to whether Alicia might actually be a hippie, go to our website. If Alicia might actually be a hamster. <laughs> and look at Alicia's Alicia's the only photo. one who doesn't think she's a hamster. <laughs> or a hipster. Whatever. What's funny is that I labeled the best of my dad's clothing after he passed away as like hipster clothes. I felt like my dad was a hipster. It's like everybody's a hipster but me. Yeah. Feeling a little trumpy there. Takes one to no one, as my mama used to say. <laughs> I don't know, does a hipster mean someone has good taste? Because apparently that's really what it means to me. All the things I think are hipstery about myself are things that I think are in good taste. I think if you're calling somebody a hipster, you're accusing them of being trendy and insincere. Oh, I am timeless and authentic. Get out of the way, old terms around hipster. That said, back before there was such a thing as a hippie, and people were referred to as hipsters in the late 50s, early 60s. The beatnik hipsters? Yep. And I think the word hipster was coined by Herb Cain from the San Francisco Chronicle, hmm. the late columnist there. But it wasn't an insult. It was a descriptor of somebody who was not concerned with making a metric fuck ton of money, wanted to be involved in art and beauty and doing drugs and having sex. Well, sounds great. This is such a great idea. What? Come in here. Oh, today. good. I'm glad you feel that way. The breeze is picking up, and I'm a little concerned that it's gonna just keep getting worse, even with a dead cat. Okay. Right. Well, do you want to meander back to the vehicle with the mics hot or not? Yeah, let's do that. All right. That is just absolutely stunning. It's the color coordination of the rock and the buckwheat. And the... Right. It's like they coordinated their outfits. Yep. Ah, those trees smell divine. I'm going to have to bring others to experience it. Got a few friends visiting soon. Hopefully they will still be, I don't know, at the rate that they're blooming and falling. It looks like we've probably got another couple weeks. Yep. 
show off. Right, he's on his pulpit. Singing the sermon to the canyon. The raven all the way at the top of this ridge, sitting very prettily on a boulder on top of the ridge. What would you call that? A promontory? I'm trying to find all the fancy words for the spot he's sitting on. A promontory? On. There's a biblical term about, what is it, on the mount? Oh, he's Raven. doing the sermon on the mount? Yeah. Blessed are the cheese bringers. Trash is thine gold. In the world of bounty, trash is our currency. I don't know what he would be saying, but praise all ye tourists who come to give us trash. All right, we are back at the car and I have one last thing I got wrong about the desert. What's that? So I moved here, I thought I would never find a community of like-minded souls. Hmm. Even with the five that Joshua Tree is branded with? Well, when I moved to the desert, I moved to Nipton, so it was a lot smaller. But okay, okay, okay. I mean, you even, you, when you met me, I was complaining about, it was more of the romantic relationship kind of thing, but I just was having trouble picturing really fitting in here, and it's home now. So was I. <laughs> I'm glad we figured we could fit in together. Yep. All these years later, now we're doing this great podcast and sharing the desert love. Let me see if I can think of any last minute things I got wrong about the desert. Things I've gotten wrong about the desert, number one. You can never drink enough water. And for me, the ultimate sign that I am drinking enough water is that it's running through me and I'm peeing very quickly after drinking that water. If your body is taking anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and a half or two hours or more to pee after you drink 12 ounces of water, pay attention to that, it's important. <laughs> and as you're doing that, you wanna bring salt in because one of the things I got wrong about the desert is I didn't realize that hyponatremia exists so you want salty snacks. It's way easier to get hyponatremia than you think. That's basically, it. you drink so much that it washes the sodium out of you, but it's really easy to take sodium into your body. And it's an excuse to bring potato chips on your hike. Or any other of your favorite salty snacks, like yep. almonds or beef jerky or- Or just a shot glass full of soy sauce. Oh yeah some straight salt and pepper on a hard-boiled egg. Yep. I wonder if it picked up that. I'm sure it did. I can capture it. That's beautiful. All I right. think we've got another episode in the can here. Yeah. Please check out our other episodes, 90milesfromneedles.com. We will keep you apprised of our progress in getting that nonprofit established. We're really looking forward to that. If you want to be kept abreast of what's happening with the podcast, check out our newsletter. Just go to 90milesfromneedles.com slash newsletter, and you can subscribe there. It's a substack. That's because we're hipsters. <laughs> and once again, I am Chris Clark. And I'm Alicia Pike, signing off.
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of 90 Miles from Needles, the Desert Protection Podcast. The episode was produced by Alicia Pike and Chris Clark and edited by Chris. Special thanks to Martine Mancha for our podcast artwork. This is the first time since we've launched that we don't have any new subscribers. If you want to become the first one in the wild, check us out at 90milesfromneedles.com slash donate or text the word needles to 53555. Thanks for listening.